0: Evening. Um, let's turn in our Bibles to the Book of Colossians. Book of Colossians. If you have a pew Bible, we're going to be reading from page one thousand and forty-four. In chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 15, and before we do that, let's uh, pray. Father in heaven, Lord, once again, we just thank you for gathering us here. We don't take it for granted, and we don't take your word for granted, Lord. We thank you we can open it up freely, we can consider it, and Lord, we ask that you would be our teacher here tonight, that your spirit would, again, open our eyes, our hearts to the beauty of Christ that we might see him and his finished work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing from a Roman prison to a church he'd never been able to visit. The letter was most likely written in response to a visit from a brother named Epaphras, who had come from Colossae, <clears throat> and had told Paul of the good things that God was doing in that church, but also of some concerning developments regarding false teachers who had been introducing human philosophies and traditions into the church. And Paul's response in this letter is both to encourage this church and to correct some of the false views that were being taught there, exalting the superiority of Christ, and the victory of his cross. And so let's begin reading from chapter 2 and verse 8. And we'll read through verse 15. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He raised the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed Over them in Him. And our text tonight is verse 15, where again it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by Him. You know, if you're not a Christian here tonight, you might be familiar with the basic story of Jesus. But when you read a verse like this, it might seem puzzling and mysterious. And if you're a Christian here tonight, it still might seem puzzling and mysterious. To restate the verse in a little bit different way, I'm going to kind of go through it. It says that he, that is God, triumphed over them, the rulers and authorities, by him, that is Jesus, by disarming them and disgracing them publicly. And so how are we to understand this verse tonight and apply it to our lives? Well, I do think verse 14 helps us to understand verse 15. And the two words that help us to understand both verses is the phrase, the cross. And so let's reread verses 14 and 15 together again. He erased the certificate of of debt with its obligations that was against us. And opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And so the death of Jesus on the cross was not a defeat. But according to this verse, it was a glorious triumph. Verse 15 is the picture of a Roman victory where the defeated enemy is is publicly paraded through the hometown streets, conquered, disarmed, and disgraced, a display of total victory. According to these verses, two things were accomplished through the cross. First, God erased and removed the certificate of debt that was against us. And secondly, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, disgracing them publicly, having triumphed over them through Jesus. And that's why those two little words, the cross, in the middle of those two verses, help us. I think, I think it's the two, two sides of the cross of victory. Our main thought tonight is, through the triumph of the cross, our dead is removed and our enemy has been defeated. And there are three questions we want to consider here tonight in kind of helping us understand this passage tonight. The first question is, well, who are the rulers and authorities? Good question. The second is, well, what does it mean that they were disarmed? And the third, what is the application for us today? What are we going to do with this? So the first question, who are the rulers and authorities? Well, there's a couple verses in the book of Colossians, first of all, that might help us. But if you look in Colossians 1, in Colossians chapter 1, In verse 16, it says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So one thing that we learn about them is that they were created by Jesus for his purpose. For his purpose. And in Colossians chapter 2... Back in verse 9 and 10, it says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So the second thing we might be able to say is he's sovereign. Jesus is sovereign over these rulers and authorities. But I think the verse that helps us the most, turn with me, keep your finger in Colossians 2, is look in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at this this morning, we read it this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And this third passage shows us that there's an invisible and evil dimension to these rulers and authorities. Satan is its head, and the suggestion is that he has an army that serves his bidding, including rulers and authorities, world powers, and spiritual forces of evil. The Phillips translation puts it like this. It says, put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world, and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. So there is a devil. We believe that. There are satanic forces. We believe that. They are powerful. They are evil. They are cunning. You know, the devil has many descriptives in the word of God. He's called the deceiver, an accuser, a tempter, an adversary, a liar, a thief, and a murderer, and the list could go on, but to su- suffice it to say, and we're going to see this in a little bit, that he's been defeated, disarmed, and disgraced through the cross of Jesus. So let's go back to the chapter. The second question we want to consider here, what is the triumph that was accomplished through the cross? When it says, God disarmed and disgraced the rulers and authorities publicly. Well, to disarm means there was something in their arsenal. There was something that Christ removed from them. Now, Hebrews talks about this, and I'll just quote it, but it it talks about that through death, that he, Jesus, might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by fear of death. So through his death, Jesus defeated or you might say disarmed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. And to the devil the death of Jesus he thought was victory, but what he didn't know is that the death of Jesus through that death he'd be conquered and destroyed. And so through death Jesus defeated death and the one holding the power of death. But back in Colossians there, what what does disarm mean in the context of our passage? And this is where I think verse 14, I think, helps us a little bit. Uh, Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So verse 14 would suggest that in disarming the enemy, he removed from him the evidence he could use against us. That is, the documents that would display our sin and our guilt before God. Those documents were specific. They were clear. They could not be refuted. We could not hide from them. We could not deny them. And the judge of the universe would judge us in view of them. But the good news that this verse tells us tonight is that Jesus bore those charges against us. And he suffered the punishment that we deserved and he paid the debt that you and I owed. And so the enemy can no longer use those charges against you and I. It says they've been erased. That is, they've been wiped clean. And it says they have been removed forever through his death on the cross. Again, let me read Philip's, these two verses. It says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. And then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, emptied, and defeated in his final, glorious, triumphant act. Weiss puts puts it like this, having obliterated the handwritten document that was against us, or the message always puts it in an interesting way. It says, all sins forgiven... The slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. He erased it, he removed it, and you can no longer find it. You know, Micah tells us how God casts our sins into the depths of the sea. And one saint of old, reflecting a verse, said, and God also puts up a sign there and says, no fishing, that he's removed our sins, and the debt has been paid, and the slate has been wiped clean. So the third question we want to answer tonight is, well, how does that apply to you and me tonight? Well, if you're not a Christian, there's damning evidence against you in the court of heaven. We are truly guilty before a holy God, having broken his moral law in thought and in word and in deed, and that one day we'll stand in his courtroom and we'll have nothing to say in defense other than plead guilty. But Jesus died on the cross that you might be delivered from that. And to know God's forgiveness and to be made righteous in his sight— And to know God intimately and personally. And it's through turning from your sin and putting faith in Christ tonight that you can know that to be true in your life. But if God has saved you and you know that to be true in your life, understand that he has justified us and declared us righteous in his sight. We are sons of God through faith in Christ. We enjoy all the rights and privileges of sonship. And that justification is sure and unchangeable. We never earned it, and we can't lose it, and we cannot add to it. The death of Christ secured it, and the resurrection of Christ confirmed it. And so we need to to rest in that reality tonight, that the debt has been paid, the charges have been erased and removed, and you can no longer find them. They're gone. In Colossae, they were being drawn into a false system of justification in religion through human philosophy and tradition, including food and drink and festivals and ascetic practices and severe treatment of the body and worship of angels and human commands and doctrines. And sometimes you and I can fall into a system where we feel like we have to help God out in light of our justification and forgiveness. You know, we fall into that way of thinking, not really believing that God has truly justified us in Christ. And yet none of these things can add to our justification and of no value in our walk with Christ. And so part of that disarming, I I believe that this passage is saying, is that the enemy can no longer hang that over our heads, that we've been truly forgiven and truly justified, and we can rest in the reality of that fact as Christians here tonight. His grace has been released to us through his death on the cross. And so, the encouragement tonight is we need to take hold of him. And that's really Paul's emphasis here in this letter. is taking hold of Christ. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, For in him the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So, so brethren, <clears throat> our sins are forgiven The charges against us have been wiped clean and removed from his sight. The enemy's been disarmed and defeated. And we walk in this world by faith in that reality. And we rest in what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. And Paul's reminder to the church in this letter is that in Christ we hold fast him. It says, holding fast the head and Brethren, it's holding fast in Christ and believing in that accomplished work that we can find rest and peace as we, as we live our lives out in this world. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for that finished work. We thank you for your great salvation and for all that was accomplished through that cross. Help us to take hold of Jesus. Help us to take hold of our head to see that in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and that he is all. And so help us to walk by faith, trusting, resting in that finished work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.